Steve Wojciechowski. Wojo, new Salt Lake City Stars head coach, joins the podcast to give you some background on himself and how he views the stars in the development journey of the draft as we continue our coverage here on Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. I'm J.P. Chunga on the Utah Jazz Podcast Network, presented by First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz, and MLS number 3112, equal housing lender. Wojo coming up, talking about the stars, how it's going to integrate into the Jazz's system, because it's a tool that you use in the league. One of these draft picks that the Jazz have, 9, 16, 28, Somebody's going to be going down to the G League. Happened to Ochai Abaji. He got nine games down with the Stars. Played during the G League Cup season. He comes to the Jazz. He's playing in the same system. It's vertical integration. Sound like a tech guy talking about things like that. But it's the first environment of professional basketball that you get. And it's going to be similar to the way that the Jazz play in the big club. It's all about feeding to the top part of the league. Nobody goes into the G League and says, you know, I'm, I want to stay here at this level. G League, I'm fine. I'm, I'm good. Don't need to go any higher. No. Everybody wants to get to the NBA. And Wojo knows that. He explains his philosophy of how he's going to go about getting guys there because he's going to get his hands on some pretty good players. Also, CBA heads. We talked about this with Bobby Marks a couple episodes back. There's a third two-way spot. So the success stories of seemingly every single Miami Heat player, shout out to the Heat, making it to the finals, that's quite the accomplishment. But they use the Sioux Falls Sky Force and their two ways to allow themselves to fill out benches, become depth pieces so that when you lose Tyler Hero, you can put it in. Max Struess, Caleb Martin, Gabe Vincent. The Jazz had success in the two-way route with Trent Forrest. Remember him a couple of years back? He comes in and is the backup point guard for that team behind Mike Conley. The two-way spot is going to be filled with some really good players. And right now it's filled by Johnny Juzang and Micah Potter. And there's going to be another added person to that group as... Summer League's right around the corner. You're figuring out who's going to be that third two-way spot with the new CBA coming. But that's Wojo. First, continuing the big board, running through the prospects and what I know about them and my own views on them from ESPN's best available board today. We're going to continue 11 through 20. Ten more prospects. Just over a week. Almost there. So a couple of these names might get called might be playing for the Utah Jazz. But let's start. Number 11 on the ESPN Best Available Board. The biggest riser in the entire draft right now. I did not have him on my radar coming into November. He wasn't on the original list. But Bilal Koulibaly, French wing, on Victor's team, he's launched himself into the top 20. Koulibaly is having a baby Gronk-like surge. Everybody knows his name. He jumped into this position after not even being on the radar last November. And I went back to watch that game against Scoot. 
just to see if I remembered him, if he stood out. He didn't play. <laughs> he got him for spare minutes. It wasn't like he was very impactful. So the surge is happening now as a result of his French season and as a result of the playoff run. He's going to be a big swing for whoever takes him because the outline and the sketches are pretty good. He's a slasher. He drives in the half court. And at 6'6", he has good size. Everybody knows his name right now. 12. Back to the college guys and somebody I'm familiar with from watching Indiana, Jalen Hood-Shafino, 6'6 point guard. He really impressed watching the Hoosiers. You can see he uses height as an advantage. You can see him having inefficient nights because he's a big point guard making a lot of decisions, some of them right, some of them wrong. His best game was against Purdue in a high-impact matchup. We scored 35, so I love that. But then he has those inefficient nights, and it happened in the tournament against Miami. He had 19 points on 20-plus shots. And then worst of all, sometimes he could rely too much on his dribble and have a lot of turnovers. Turnovers were his biggest issue. I think that's part of the growing pains of being a point guard is figuring out your own turnover battle, how you're going to deal with that. At 13, Derek Lively, Duke. He's huge, and he knows what he is. He's a big, who's a lob threat, that's going to rim protect on the other end. 7-7 wingspan, 7-2 in shoes. He destroyed the Syracuse 2-3 zone by just hanging out in the dunker spot. Mark Williams of this draft. The Bones Highland might be the next guy on the best available. Nick Smith out of Arkansas. Had knee injuries, but he's a scorer. All he does is come back in February after being sidelined and put 20 on Georgia. He is a quick-fire guy. He's going to pound the ball. But in the right spot, he can score, score, score. You can see he has a handle package. You can see he can drive. You can see he gets his shot off. And in correct situations where you allow him to get his shot off, he will. 15, one of my favorite players in this entire draft. And it might just be typecasting because I've loved most of the guards that come out of Kentucky. I'm always texting back and forth with someone who is looking at the draft, talking about the draft, and I always say, I'm going to buy on a Kentucky guard because I think, one, Cal knows how to recruit guards, and two, they have a good track record. Shea Gildas-Alexander, I loved coming out of the draft. Tyrese Maxey, I loved. And Kaysan Wallace is in that lineage. He's less of a passer than SGA when he was at Kentucky. Shea Gildas-Alexander was one of the best passers in college I'd seen to that point doing draft stuff. But I love the way that this guy guards. He guards like Maxey. He will hound you. It was his rap coming in from high school, and he carried over to college. He was disrupting dribble handoffs, pick and rolls against Michigan State at the start of the season. He needs to become a better playmaker, but as far as someone who cares defensively and wants to make winning plays, will make the right A to B pass, Kaysen Wallace is that. Next at 16... He's one of the players up in contention for best shooters in the draft. It's Jordan Hawkins out of UConn. He's 6'5", 
my favorite movement shooter in the draft. He's more refined running his routes and cuts than Grady Dick. He shows he can take big shots in big moments. He had six three-pointers against Gonzaga in the lead eight. He was 38% from three overall. Nice release. And he just goes. He is a motor. He's all over the place. He's always going to create spacing, has distance, going to shoot it feet behind the three-point line. He's going to find ways to extend his range. And that's probably why in the ESPN Best Available, he's higher than Keontae George. Though, I could see him being a lottery talent. That leads us to him. Keontae George out of Baylor, taking the Jared Butler role. Might be a little sensitive for Jazz fans. But he took that role on this Baylor team. He's not a playmaker just yet, but he scored. And off the ball, you saw him moving. Did that against Kansas State in a game that pitted two really good Big 12 teams. He's just 33% from three, but it's smooth. And like many Baylor players, he competes on the defensive end. Then at 18 and 19, a couple Michigan teammates. 18, Kobe Bufkin, 19, Jet Howard. Bufkin is a young sophomore. Going to turn 20 come training camp. In fact, he's younger than Jet Howard, who is a freshman. Explain that to me. Bufkin's a sophomore. But Bufkin goes higher because he's a good defender, he's a smart shooter, and he's a good finisher at the rim. He has a little bit of creation, plays with the ball in his hand, but was on a really dreadful Michigan team. Not great. And Jed Howard is the more focused shooter. He came in as a very highly touted prospect, got a lot of attention defensively for the Wolverines, and that made him prone to get trapped in pick and rolls, and he made the right decision most of the time. He takes the big shots on that team. If you're looking at who was the alpha, might have been Howard. He's hitting big shots down the stretch. Against Illinois, he sent that game into overtime and took them over the top with a big three in the extra five minutes. He does things that if David Fisdale were here, I would believe in the conspiracy theory that he's destined to be with the Jazz. Because his father's Jawan Howard. Jawan worked with Fizz. They know each other. He's probably seen him as a kid and see him grow up. But Fizdale's in Phoenix. But I like what I see with Jed Howard. He's 6'8". Tough to block his shot. I see him as a contributor. I do. I see him as in that grouping of the post lottery. George could jump into the late lottery. But Howard firmly in that next grouping. And wrap it up at 20 with Ryan Rupert, French player, played with the Breakers of New Zealand. Kind of in that long line of Breakers. Like last year, I loved Usman Jang. I thought he was awesome defender. I'm still holding on to Usman Jang's stock. And I might be doing the same for Ryan Rupert. He has a 7-3 wingspan. He clearly has defensive instincts. And like many of these Breakers players... He's a smart passer. He knows it's not all on him. So while not being a great shooter just yet, he has indicators of, I'm in on this guy. Breakers have developed a couple of pros 
first round picks. RJ Hampton went there, LaMelo, Jang. They know what they're doing. And it's the Australian League's version of Mets 92, almost. So it started with Koulibaly and ends with Rupert. Two very similar players in their trajectory. One is a clear home run swing, trying it, and then Rupert is pretty safe with his defensive instincts. He's probably at his worst, Andre Roberson. Another Thunder player. Five stars, nice reviews, that's all I ask of you. Let others know that you're listening to the podcast. It's called Round Ball Roundup. Steve Wojciechowski, the new head coach of the Salt Lake City Stars, joins the show. As you get to know him, coached at Marquette, assistant coach at Duke for a bunch of years, played for Coach K, coached in the Redeem team. You can hear me get excited because Wojo is clearly a basketball guy. We dropped a Howard Garfinkel, talked about Sonny Vaccaro. Like you could tell he loves basketball as somebody that has those same feelings towards this sport. You hear it bleed out into what we're talking about. So enjoy getting to know Steve Wojciechowski. He's going to be pivotal in whoever gets picked by the Jazz because the Stars play the same way, and it's a way to get minutes for young players who may not be ready for the NBA game immediately. Ojayabaji wasn't ready right away. So, goes to G League, learns a little bit, comes up to the big club, and he serves well. That's going to happen to somebody on the Jazz next year. There's a third two-way spot. They're going to use Steve Wojciechowski's team in the development of these young players. Could be one of the guys that we've already talked about. 1 through 10 on the last podcast with Jeremy Wu, 11 through 20 with Steve Wojciechowski. Please enjoy Park City's Ted Lasso, Coach Wojo. When it comes time to move, it's always a hassle. Loading everything in the truck, hoping the priceless antique from your mother doesn't break, and trying to juggle the kids and dog in the middle of it all is enough to drive anyone crazy. But it doesn't have to be that way. The friendly, background-checked movers at Bailey's Moving and Storage have the expertise to move your family across town or even around the world. So when it's time to move, think Bailey's Moving and Storage. Call today at 801-218-2640 or check them out online at baileysallied.com. Some know him as Wojo. Some know him as Park City's own version of Ted Lasso. I know him as the head coach of the Salt Lake City Stars. He is Steve Wojciechowski on Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. So good of you to join us in the studio. Thanks for having me. So does this put the coaching Park City Ted Lasso situation on hold at the start of this? It does. It does, especially the football part of uh, Ted Lasso. I think I'll still be in the gym with my kids uh, uh, rebounded for them as they are, you know, pursuing their basketball journeys. But uh, it's a it's a full time job, and I'm looking forward to it. It was the most emotional part of the press conference. You talking about your kids, coaching them. What was so gratifying about having that time with them to be able to coach them from day to day? It's one of the best things that's ever happened to me. You know, like when you're in college coaching, and and really any type of professional coaching um you know it requires time away and I had the gift of time and I chose to spend that time with 
my kids and in the game. And not necessarily because I want them to be great players, but if I reflect on my life, some of the, the best lessons that I've ever learned uh, happened to me through the game of basketball. And so to be able to share that with my kids and their friends was really as much fun uh, as I've ever had in coaching. And I've loved, I lo I've loved my coaching career. In fact, I am running a camp right now in Park City and, you know, I had a bunch of I have a bunch of the kids I coach in the camp, and I mentioned to them um, because we talk about being a, a willing listener and learner in camp because I think it's a skill that anybody who excels in any area of their life has, the ability to learn and the desire to learn, the hunger to learn. And, you know, one of the things I learned from coaching my kids and being able to see the game of basketball through their eyes was the joy of the game. And that's why I initially started playing basketball. You know, I, I don't come from a basketball family. Everybody assumes that my dad was a coach or I come from a basketball family. And that couldn't be further from the truth. My dad's a longshoreman. You know, he worked a hard job on the docks of Baltimore. Um, but I fell in love with the game very early. And I found great joy in, in playing it. And then later I found great joy in, in coaching it. But I lost that uh, uh, somewhere along the, the way uh, when I was coaching in college. You know, be, you know, the business side of it at times can rob you of that, where you're always focused on kind of the business of basketball. And you forget, like, the foundational piece of it is the love of the game. And sharing the love of the actual game of basketball, but also sharing the love of what basketball can teach you. Um, and so I got to see that again. I got reminded of it by coaching my kids. And um, it felt amazing. And so um, that's a lesson. That's what I learned. Because um, we, we all should never stop learning. But that's what I learned from coaching them, and that's as valuable as uh, drawing up a great X's and O's play because uh, that's the foundational piece. And I'm sure, I mean, not only learning about your kids, but even learning rules of, of these young leagues, what the youth sports is all about, learning about football, because I don't think that you were a football coach before. No, I didn't play football. Yeah. I actually played yeah. soccer all, all growing up, so... You know, it was it was, uh, it was humbling. Uh, you know, when you're talking about coaching, you know, football, like I was, I was literally the <laughs> Park City version of Ted Lasso. In fact, that's what you know, like people would say, because I, I, I focused more on the, on the, you know, the the values that create good players and good teams, and. Um, those values are the things that, you know, I could help with. I couldn't help with, you know, all the, all the stuff involved with, with coaching football and plays, and I didn't even know the positions half the time. Um, <laughs> however, that wasn't my role. My role was to say, like, look, we, we just lost a game. We feel bad. Okay, what are we going to do with it? What is our response going to be? Because for these kids, there's going to be things that happen in, throughout their life that aren't ideal. And you can't, you have some control, but when it's over, you have none. What you have control over is your response. And so that, those were the types of lessons that, 
that I provided. Now, I didn't put a believe sign uh, in the locker room, you know, in the locker room, but uh, you know, that was that was my role, and I, I think the kids had a great experience, and I certainly, I certainly know I did. It worked for Coach Beard and Coach Lasso. It worked for you. Yeah, that's right. Uh, looking at the background, people know you from your time at Duke. Where did the love of the game, where did you get on their radar? How did you occur that Duke would be a school that would be interested in you? Well, really, I mean, even through my first three, three years of high school, um, you know, I, I developed into someone that could play Division One basketball. But really, after my junior year in high school, I was probably either going to go to Penn or Princeton. At that time, it was Pete Carroll at Princeton and Fran Dunphy at Penn. And which would have been incredible because those guys are great coaches, and obviously uh, those schools speak for themselves Good in terms progress. of of, yeah. uh, of the quality of education and experience. Um, and then I went to a camp after my completing my junior year. Uh, it was called the Five Star Basketball Camp. Back in that those days, Garf Five Star, yeah, Garf was a close friend. I mean, I was. I left a lot of uh, cartilage on the outdoor courts at the five-star basketball camp. But I ended up getting MVP, and there were other really good players, Stefan Marbury, who was a great NBA player, Vince Carter, who was a terrific NBA player. I went to the camp, and I ended up getting MVP. Garf called a guy named Sonny Vaccaro and said, you know, we just had this kid from Baltimore win MVP of our camp. You should invite him to your camp, and his camp was the ABCD camp. It was an All-American camp, and it was it was uh, the year in between him leaving Nike and him going to Adidas, so we were sponsored by Converse, the, the Grandmama React Juices. Um, I got invited to that camp and um, as a late invitation, so I flew up to Ypsilanti, Michigan. It was the first time I've ever been on a plane, and uh, flew up to Eastern Michigan, and started the ABCD camp. They're doing roll, and my name's not being called, which is not unusual when your last name's Wojciechowski. You're usually last in line. And then when you, your name comes up, whoever's calling roll is fearful for butchering the name. So I'm like, okay, this is par for the course. I'm used to this since elementary school. Um, my name wasn't called for roll. And so, again, I was a super late in, in invite. So I went up to so Sonny, and I said, Hi, my name's Steve Wojciechowski. I know Howard Garfinkel contacted you about this camp. My name, I don't have a team to play on yet, but I'd really love to be a part of this team. And Sonny, in Sonny's way, he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll figure it out, we'll figure it out. So I end up being on a team with uh, eight Eastern Europeans uh, who spoke no English and showered less than that. <laughs> um, and so, um, I'm on this team with like one other American-born player, okay. and we go on to have a great camp. And I had a great camp, but initially I'm thinking, what what is what is this? That's a challenge. Yeah, your your teammates don't speak English. Yeah, um, but I was able to connect with them pretty quickly, and it actually, in hindsight, and I didn't recognize this at the time, it was the best thing for me because they played away and they needed what I did the best. They needed direction, they needed leadership, they needed somebody to organize and to unify. 
and I was able to do that in the camp. If I would have ended up on Team New York City and, and the way I shined was to score playing one-on-one and, you know, like doing that stuff, I, I would not have looked as good. I guarantee it. But I was able to, to play well. And at the end of that camp, I was one of the better players in camp. And I went from a guy who was going to decide between Penn and Princeton to Duke, North Carolina, and all the, the Blue Bloods. So this is, this is like a six-week span. Wow. And uh, my life changed in six weeks. Um, and then, obviously, from that, I ended up at Duke at the end of the recruiting process. And the rest is history, as they say. But that's how impactful those camps were, five-star I, I just remember the orange shirts yeah. from Five Star. ABCD was such a big deal during that time. Sonny Vaccaro of air fame yeah, now yeah, that yeah, people right. know because he's Matt Damon. Uh, but th they were really important to the entire recruiting circuit. The best coaches were going to those camps. Yeah, and that, that was like before AAU became so big. Um, so, like, that was – those, you know, Five Star was a great teaching and learning camp. ABCD was kind of one of – ABCD and Nike my senior year were, like, the two camps where you had probably the best 200 or two of – 200 of, of the best high school players invited. So, it was a big deal. Um, and, you know, it's like sometimes you don't believe things are, are happening. But a funny story is, like, when – because I, my last name's Wojciechowski, which looks like an Eastern European name, and it is, it's Polish. Uh, when people would call my parents in Baltimore, um, you know, they'd speak real slow. Like, hello. Because <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they expected me to be yeah. Eastern European. Um, and which, you know, they speak good Baltimore English. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, the O's, the right? O's the, and Hun and all that kind of stuff. Accent, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, looking at uh, what happened after going to Duke and then eventually becoming an assistant coach, what has been the influence of only one of the best college basketball coaches of all time in Coach K? How has he influenced the way that you've gone about your basketball career and how things have occurred to you in this basketball life? Yeah, I think Coach Gay is the greatest teacher I've ever had. And the vehicle that he used to teach was basketball. Um, and so, so many of the things that he did for myself and, and my teammates in, in terms of building relationships, pushing us to be our best selves, being there when we tried to be our best selves but we weren't, um, were, you know, those are all lessons that really I take from daily. I mean, there's not a day that goes by where I don't draw upon something that I learned uh, from him as a player and then working for him for a, a long time. And so, um, you know, like when you, you talk about the people that have had the most impact on my life outside of my family, my uh, mother and father and my brother and sister uh, coach K has had as big as impact on me as as anyone what was that experience to see him coach the redeem team after USA basketball had gone through a situation in Athens where they don't bring back the gold you go and see him actually accomplish it with pros with players that are of a really high level of caliber 
You know, like I think when people think of Coach K, they think of uh, West Point and like my way or the highway, and this is the way we're going to do things, and there's no deviation because this has served me so well in college, and that's not really what he did at all. Um, number one, he tried to learn about the international game and professional players, first and foremost. Uh, and then number two, he tried to learn, you know, ways for uh, for him to connect with the best players in the world, so they could be themselves on the international stage. Uh, he's incredible about setting an environment where people. Uh, feel like the environment is invested in them and they invest in the environment. And he was doing it not with the best college players, he's doing it with some of the best players to ever live, LeBron, Kobe, D. Wade, Mello, all those guys. Um, and it didn't take long for, I think, those guys to recognize that he was going to be a partner in this pursuit. And it wasn't about him. It was about the name on the front of the jersey. And, um, and it, was, it was magical. And then for me to be a part of that with the role that I had, um, supporting Coach K and supporting um, USA Basketball, to see it firsthand grow and build uh, was incredible. You know, people talk about culture all the time. You know, you had the best players in the world who had an amazing connection to the mission of representing the United States and putting USA basketball back on the top of the mountain and to see all the things that went in it were into it and then being a, a very small part of it, I don't want to oversell it, uh, was, you know, really, you know, one of the most joyful experiences I've had in coaching. Was there a pinch me moment during that experience for you? There were many. I mean, I came back to the States with welts because I pinched my, myself so much. Um, you know, just like, you know, for me, having Kobe Bryant say, you know, like, well, you, you know, I need you to come back to the gym and rebound for me and work, you, work me out. I'm like, how about I rebound for you? You do what you do. <laughs> um, you know, that. And then seeing, seeing these guys, the best of the best, really connect to our country because I think the perception is you know these guys you know it's, it's hard for people to these guys are human beings but because they are so gifted and they've maximized their gift you sometimes lose sight of that and uh, to see them really connect to a bigger mission because sometimes you think you know like they're only connected to their own individual mission that wasn't the case at least in USA basketball, and um, you know that was that was thrilling. You know they're they're human beings too, extraordinary ones, <laughs> uh, but you got to see the human side of what they do in addition to the best practices of the best players. And Carlos, I, I talked to him yeah. uh, before about how great Coach K is as a motivator, bringing in soldiers uh, for that entire for that experience to speak to the team, he said, was something that rallied the team around the cause and helped them get the gold in the end. Yeah, I mean, Coach is great at communication and Coach is great at trying to dig to a deeper level, um, not just going surface, you know, where his play was going to win the gold medal. 
it was going to be guys connecting to a bigger mission. And it, and if they did that, it didn't matter what plays you ran because those guys were so good. And so that's where the focus – the focus of USA Basketball for Coach K was, one, standard of behavior. Like, there were standards and expectations of how they, the players and the staff were going to represent themselves and how we were going to represent the country. And the players were – that was clear to the players, and they were, they were held to that standard. And then the second thing was it was, it was bigger than – it was bigger than the, the X and O strategy. I mean, obviously, that's always an important part of basketball because you want to – if guys have that belief, you want to put them in the best positions to succeed. Um, but, you know, it was more about, like, you know, like, you know, you guys are wearing the jersey and you're, you know, in your mid-20s, here's a soldier, and as he walks in the room, he's got one leg and he can't see. Because when he was 25, he was fighting for our country. And, you know, those things are meaningful. Like, you have to be heartless not to feel that. And so that was always reinforced, um, you know, with our team. And then you you, you could tell how much it meant to him. uh, Because when the team, in fact, did win the gold, it wasn't like, yeah, well, we're the best players. We were supposed to do that. It was like, we just made a huge investment with people that we really respect and have grown to care deeply about. And look what we did. Um, so it was, you know, being a part of 08 in Beijing and 2012 in London were, were a real thrill on a lot of levels. Now let me tell you about First Colony Mortgage. They've been serving the lending needs of Utah for more than 35 years. As a mortgage banker, First Colony Mortgage offers advantages over other lenders. Not only do they process mortgages, they also underwrite, fund, and close mortgage loans all in-house. Their expert team is ready to help you with your home financing needs. Just check them out. First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz. Going about building your own program now that you're the head coach of the Salt Lake City Stars, what made this the right opportunity? How are you approaching the job? Well, you know, number one, I, I miss coaching um, at the highest level. And this will be the highest level I've coached at, like I said in the press conference. You know, when you think of the G League as a basketball league from a, a talent perspective, it's you know, I mean, outside of the NBA, and then some people may argue EuroLeague, but I think you could make a strong argument outside the NBA. It's the next best league in the world. Um, and so to, to coach players that are had the ability to compete at this level but also have aspirations of, of continuing their journey to the highest level uh, is really exciting. And the thing that I miss most about uh, one of the things I miss most about coaching was is the development piece. And so as good a league as it is, it's, it's not necessarily the final destination for most of the people in the league, both players and staff. So I'm looking forward to, and I, and I love the fact that that's the primary mission of the league. I mean, the G League, you know, I'm old enough to remember when it was called the D League for yep. development. It's the mission of the league. And I really help, I like helping people grow and develop, uh, not just as basketball players, but also as people. 
because everyone in the league, while really talented and, and high achievers, there's something that's not quite there yet. And it could be a skill on the floor. It could be a skill off the floor. And I want to work with these guys to figure out what it is so that they get what they want from this experience. Uh, I've been in, you know, like coaching for over 20 years. And, and, and most other top leagues, it's like, are you winning or are you losing? Mm -hmm. And they can, they can flower it up any way they want. But at the end of the day, like, you win, good. You lose, bad. And I want to win a lot, but that's not as important to me as helping the people in the organization grow individually. And the best way to grow individually is to connect yourself to a group. So the more group, the the more the group grows collectively, the more the individual can shine. You know, like those th two things, to me, go hand in hand. The new CBA for the new CBA heads. You know, there's going to be a third a two-way spot available to teams, you're going to be dealing a lot with these two-way players. How do you go about seeing guys go up and down between the Jazz and the Stars in the way that happens? Well, that's just part of it. I think one of the things you have to do is be really flexible because that's our role. Um, our role as a staff, and my, my role as a leader of the Stars, is to set an environment where we're really good teammates. And look, our job is to serve the Utah Jazz organization. Like that's what we, we need to support uh, the Jazz management and Will and his staff. And so we need to be good teammates to them. And what that means is there's gonna be a lot of change on the day-to-day -day basis. And so with change, we have a choice. We can complain about it or we can embrace it and try to make the most of it. And I'm of the belief that uh, as, as human beings, we, are always, we always have the choice to try to control the things we can control. We can't control what Justin and Will want with, with our players. What we can control is trying to create an environment for the people that, are, that in that moment are under our leadership to create uh, an atmosphere where they're improving, growing, and they're moving closer towards their best selves. And so I, that, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't, I actually love that uh, because it, it challenges that. I think, I think that's one of the, um, the things from a mindset perspective um, that can help these guys, right? Because there's going to be, and there already has been for the players, things out of their control that, and so you can you have a choice like are you gonna like uh, why am I down here and or so and so that was you know I got I got negatively affected by that experience. All right, it's uh, that experience is over. Like what are we doing right now? Like we got to be present and we got to focus on the things we can control and try to dominate that today. And then when we get up tomorrow, we'll find out what what our next task is. And so that's the type of attitude I'd like for our players and our staff to have. Because the Jazz have so many draft picks, I'm sure that the Stars will be involved in developing them. They did it last year with Ochai Abaji. He went uh, and played with the Stars. And 
Scott Morrison's still around. It's not like he's he's out of the building. I'm sure he's going to be a great resource for you. Yeah, Scott and his staff did a terrific job, and 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 Scott in particular did a great job of really, especially you know, like they 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 had some struggles early in the season, and and they were able to rally where they were playing their best basketball as a team. But within that journey, they were able to really help the Jazz. Because, and Ochai, as you mentioned, is a prime example of that. Like his time in the G League really set the stage for his best play at the end of the season for the Jazz. And that's a credit to Ochai, and that's a credit to Scott and his staff. And so it would be foolish uh, of me and the people that eventually I'll surround myself with not to use him as a resource because he's done it and done it well. And certainly Ochai had a, a played a big part in that because, you know, like that's a, it's a two-way street. But, uh, you know, we'll be relying heavily on Scott uh, and me specifically uh, to help us as we, as I navigate and learn. I have a lot to learn. And um, that's exciting to me. It's not scary. And Scott will be a resource, hopefully, to speed up that learning process. As we're about to wrap things up, what is the building that you're walking into? This is a ZBBBC, the practice facility, that the culture that will Justin Zanuck, Danny Ainge, the crew has created. What is it like being in here? You know, one of the things, because I've walked into a lot of practice facilities, a lot of gym, a lot of gyms, a lot of basketball environments. When you walk in here, you get the people want to be here. They're happy to be here. And that's a huge credit because, you know, like I've had experience in other NBA and it's like, ooh, you know, it doesn't really feel like that. It's like, okay, we can punch out at noon. Great. See you later. Um, the guys want to be here. And that's a credit to Danny, Justin and, and Will. Uh, when I watched, you know, I came down here and watched Will's team practice a number of times last year, not as much as I would have liked because I actually had a, another job and I was traveling for that. Um, but what I saw when I watched Will's teams play, I saw a team that competed every night. You know, they, 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 they competed to win every night. They had uh, great joy in doing that and they were connected. They competed, they connect, they were connected, and they and they had joy doing both, which is a great start. Um, and we hope to try to create a similar environment with the stars. We want our teams to compete every night. We want them to be connected, even if they're on their own individual journeys. We we're, we're connected, staff, players, player, staff, player to player, uh, and we want them to want to be there because the best way you make the most of your opportunity is you can be present in, in, in the situation, and joy is a big part of that. Fun is underrated is what he would say in his press conferences all the time. It's so true. It's, it's almost a Ted lasso thing to say that fun is underrated, but fun in an 82-game season, a 40-game season, doesn't matter. Those are long. Fun is underrated, and it's a credit to him. It really is, and, and we hope to, to mirror that at our level. Let's have some fun in the Salt Lake City Stars in the G League season coming up. Thanks very much. Steve Wojciechowski, the head coach of the Salt Lake City Stars on Round Ball Roundup.